Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that takes a look at the news of the day. We talk about the existential threats to America. Got some interesting data, poll data on that. Claude and I, I think, are going to have a disagreement here. But it okay. uh, would be the first time. But if he doesn't fire me, I won't fire him. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Joining me today, Mark Krikorian. He is the immigration guy. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. We'll get an update on the latest regarding illegal immigration as it's making its way back to the headlines. And boy, is it in the headlines. What do we got going on at that border? A couple things on my mind first. I want to get to something in terms of existential threats to America. You know, one of my themes, Claude, is that we live in a very balkanized society, you know, very separated. The audience has heard me talk about Professor Alan Gelzo at Gettysburg and Princeton, who says we're the most divided we've been since the Civil War. And I've said, I think, divided even more because Civil War, there was one issue, horrible issue, terrible issue, enormous issue. But I think a landowner, a father, a mother in the North and a father and mother in the South believed in God, believed in family, believed in right and wrong, believed in the future of America, believed in freedom, different interpretations, but freedom. I don't know about anymore. I want you to listen to this. This is our friend, Kristen Soltis Anderson, you know, the pollster. Mm -hmm. How concerned are you, if at all, that the following are a problem for the country? This was asked of Democrats. Okay. Okay. Number one concern. What would you guess? Oh, for, uh, I bet for Democrats, if I had to guess two things, uh, either COVID's one or, uh, or white supremacist hate groups will be either one or two. Well, you're half right. Okay. COVID does not register. Mm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve issues. Wow. COVID is not right. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes. Looks like it could be on the way out too. Number one. You're right. Number one concern, Donald Trump supporters. Number two, white nationalism. Number three, systemic racism. Now, white nationalism and systemic racism is kind of what you said. Mm -hmm. But Trump supporters is number one? Does this suggest that they're lumping all Trump supporters into white nationalism and systemic racism? Looks like they are, since it's number one. All right, next, gun violence, people lacking health coverage, domestic terrorism, police brutality, problems with against uh, LGBTQ, sexism, voter suppression, student debt, and capitalism. Donald Trump supporters, number one, at 82%. White nationalism, 79. Systemic racism, 77. Republicans, top concerns. You ready? Can I guess the top concern? Yes, sir. Is it immigration? Illegal immigration. Okay. Illegal immigration. Number two, uh, lack of support for the police. Number three, high taxes. Okay. <laughs> Number four, bias in the mainstream media. Uh-huh. Okay. Number five, decline of the country. Okay. Number six, socialism. Number seven, Antifa violence. Number eight, China. Abortion then. Election fraud, censorship, campaign, persecution against Christians. Okay, top three for Democrats. Democrats, not liberals, not leftists. Donald Trump supporters, white nationalism, systemic racism. Top three. Republicans, illegal immigration, lack of support for the police, high taxes. We are talking about people who live in different worlds. Mm -hmm. Different basis of judgment entirely, completely Tell me about that for that Democrat list. If you were to list your concerns, honestly, your top 10 concerns, would any of them be there? Trump supporters? White so, supremacists? Yeah, if I, were, if I were to list my top 10, um, and this is in no, no particular order, I know for sure from uh, illegal immigration, 
probably something along the lines of getting the healthcare system right. There would be some foreign policy issues there with Russia and China. Further down the list, Trump support, first of all, Trump supporters wouldn't make the top 10 for me. I'm not concerned about, because I don't have a concern about Trump supporters. You know, I don't group everyone into the same group. Now, that's different from white supremacists, and I, I don't grump, loop them all together in the same group. No, I understand. No, look, you see them as separate. But Correct. is white supremacism a concern of yours? Top 10? It would, yeah, it would be in the top 10. Absolutely. I, in, in, in the last, uh, I wouldn't even say the last four years, I, in the last uh, eight to 10 years, I've seen some things that really concern me. Like, wow, I didn't know people still thought this way. Or there were individuals who were in our country who, you know, um, I mean, are your bankers and teachers and, and who still have these thoughts. Uh, and so that's, I think, there that's lo- I think there are a lot of them. I don't think it's a lot. I don't think the percentage is high. Um, the problem is sometimes it's, it seems like the, the, the bad, they're louder than the good. White nationalism, systemic racism, which one? Okay. I think there's a lot of awareness about racism and systemic racism where, okay. you know, you meet, I meet people all the time who are even afraid to say certain things because they don't want to be thought of as racist. And so I'm, I'm not sure if the systematic thing is, is a bigger deal. Yeah, I, I look, I agree with you. They're white supremacists. I just don't think they're very many. I think they're loud, and I think, guess what? The media gives them a megaphone. Oh, they love it. Yeah, and they love it. And I think the Biden Justice Department will give them a megaphone. You know, white supremacists, white nationalism on one hand, immigration and high taxes and media bias on the other the other group. People view the world very differently. Absolutely. I mean, they view the world differently, and, you know— just as you stated before, you know, I believe it, too, that this is the most divided time in our country. And not just and like I said, not even over one issue um, and not even that if people are, are super divided on every issue. It's, it's, it's the assumption that if we are divided on one issue, then we must be divided on all of them. And well, seems, let me push you on that. OK, there's no overlap in these lists. Claude. That's true. I feel like that might be a reflection of just of years of uh, now of digging in the trenches of, of, of this whole. You know, well, if you believe this, then I must believe it. We talked about it even when it came to a mask mandate. I don't know why it just seemed like South conservative uh, uh, Republicans a little easier on the mask. Democrats, Northern, put a mask on, you have to wear one. I don't understand how we get so divided. And it, it feels like we're at this point where you have to you have to choose one side or the other. And if I'm on this side with one thing, then, I, then I'm, I'm with everything on, on, on that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You saw this reflected on in many areas. Remember our discussion of football. Yeah. Southeast Conference will play a nuclear winner. But the Big Ten, the Ivy League immediately said no. These are serious matters, I think. And I just I want to call them to people's attention. I am taken with how liberal this crowd is. This legislation, this two trillion thing, this HR one about voting and can't monkey with the voting system. We had this last time, which was a mess. Cuomo, quite apart from the intensity of the criticism of Kavanaugh, compared to the very mild stuff they're saying, mostly procedural. You know, we'll see how the investigation goes. There's a couple of real differences. The major one, you got photographs. You got a photograph of this young woman, smallish woman, Cuomo with his fingers on her two cheeks. He then says, I didn't do anything inappropriate. Can I just explain something to the audience? He does not decide what's inappropriate. That's right. He can say, I didn't intend anything inappropriate. I didn't mean to do anything inappropriate. But whether it's inappropriate or not is a different standard. And I believe the way the law works in New York, the woman thinks it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you'll get away with this. I was kind of just irritated by the teariness. Did you watch him? He kind of teared up. 
No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even want to watch. I didn't want to watch it here. No, I don't. Bl- I don't blame you. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't want to watch it again. He said, "I'm so sorry." Almost blubbering, you know. Pretty, pretty ridiculous. But we'll see where it goes. I got another question. Okay. Where the hell is Kamala? Every time I see him, she's off behind him in a mask. I mean, she's just there. Shouldn't say anything. She's like, she's just staffing it. And I, I wonder if anybody's reacting to that, saying it's somewhat demeaning. She doesn't say a word. She's the vice president of the United States. Let her go to the podium. And besides, she'd probably be clearer, more interesting to listen to than the stilted, halting, hesitant way Biden is speaking. Now, Biden has not had a press conference, which apparently is a record for the modern era, where he just takes all the questions. I don't know if he's going to have one, Claude, because I don't think he's going to get any better. Very interested in um, listener response. Yeah, feel free to email BillBennettPodcast uh, at gmail.com. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to PresentDangerChina.org. PresentDangerChina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Let's welcome Mark Corey into the show. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. So I was looking at this. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, there's a pollster named Kristen Soltis Anderson. Right. I think she's pretty good. Pretty good. She did a poll of Democrats and uh, Republicans. I don't think this will shock you, but it did kind of shock me just how stark. Okay, you're a Democrat. Your main concerns for Democrats, first three top concerns, one, Donald Trump supporters. Right. <laughs> supporters. Yeah. Number two, white nationalism. Three, systemic racism. So they're all the same thing in some sense. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that supporters, I mean, I, I can see being worried about white nationalism. I don't think there's a whole lot of it, but I can see you don't like it and no one would like systemic racism. But Donald Trump supporters, that, that yeah. links them to all of that. Yep. Okay, three, three top concerns by Republicans. Number one, you're the man. What do you think it is? <laughs> immigration. Illegal immigration. Yeah. Two, lack of support for the police. Three, high taxes. For bias in the mainstream media. You know me, Mark, a philosophical t- turn of mind, for better or worse, often worse, but we got two countries going on here. Yeah, it's looking that way. I mean, I'm, uh, I still don't despair about the, you know, sort of uh, civil war stuff. I think that's uh, overwrought a little bit, but we do clearly have kind of two real, two cultural mainstreams, as it were, and one of which actually runs everything, and then the rest of us don't. Let me push you, push you back on that and be more overwrought than what you've read. The overwrought stuff are my friend Alan Gelzo, professor at Gettysburg, Princeton. Right. Says we're the most divided we've been since the Civil War. You know what I say? What? More divided. Probably. I mean, if you think only about one it. Issue, only one issue. There was one issue. Huge, horrible, terrible. Right. Consequential. But people in the North, people in the South believe basically the same things about life and God and family and well, as, as Lincoln right, said, they read right the, and wrong. As Lincoln said, read the same Bible and prayed to the same God, right? Yeah. So I think, man, I think it's serious. I think this division is serious. And when we get the comments like, you know, Neanderthal, and, you know, deplorables. Anyway, you know, Mark, deja vu all over again. Uh, people call me up, ask me about education. They say, it's been 20 years since you've dealt with this, isn't it? So not much has changed. And I was thinking, I don't know, the last time you and I talked, has anything changed? I mean, in the broadest outlines? Well, in a sense, it kind of has changed because all the previous, you know, when we talked earlier, when uh, Obama was pushing his immigration bill and before that, George W. Bush pushing his, the premise was always 
amnesty for people who are here, but we promise this time cross our heart to enforce the rules tomorrow and make sure it doesn't happen again. This bill, uh, and I think it reflects a broader trend, rejects the concept of enforcing the law. I'm not even talking about illegals who are here. It rejects enforcement tomorrow. Uh, in the future. It really does represent a radicalization of the democratic mainstream on immigration, because there was always a fringe on the left that thought this way, but the fringe is now at the center on the Democratic Party. They literally reject the concept of enforcement of immigration laws. They're willing to use immigration laws in extremists to get rid of somebody who's a convicted murderer or rapist. But immigration laws in themselves are no longer accepted as legitimate by the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Amazing. I read your articles. We'll put a link up. Uh, The Biden effect continues at the border and the other recent one, the human cost of open-ish borders. Open-ish, exactly. So I thought during the campaign, Republicans and conservatives might have been overreaching, saying, you know, this is going to be very left, very socialist. And I thought, I know Biden. He was my confirmation chairman when I was drug czar. It's going to be kind of moderate, squishy left. It's not. No, it's not. And uh, I mean, I'm not qualified to speak about the other areas, but in immigration, it's not. Um, And you're right. The president himself, if he were actually calling the shots, might be kind of moderate, squishy, maybe. But it's really not up to him. And I don't mean this in conspiratorial sense, you know, Kamala is signing all the executive orders kind of thing. I mean that he is basically... um, I mean, his goal in life was to get into the Oval Office, and he's willing to sell his soul to get there. And the price of it, even if he only lasts, you know, a little longer than William Henry Harrison, the price of it is that he has to give the uh, hard left whatever they want, or at least to, to a significant degree. And he's willing to do that because even the squishiness that you experienced, I don't think was particularly principled. It was just kind of, uh, you know, that was what it took to go, you know, to operate in his was world it, at that I, time. I thought it was instinctive, too. I mean, I got to know him really well. When I was drug czar, and I was threatening to put some of these things out, I offered them out during the campaign. He thought I was soft on crime. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Lock him up. More prisons. Right. Bill, Bill, more prisons. Czar. Czar. Give me more prisons. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It could be that, you know, he he really was sort of instinctually, you know, lunch bucket Joe. But what's more important, I Scott. think, to him and is to get into the White House and whatever it takes, he'll do it. Yeah, and I think the brain is gone or going. <clears throat> and they're talking now, Mark, about, you know, no press conference, which is a record at this stage. Yep. He's not going to get better. No. I mean, no. in terms of delivery and presence. And it doesn't matter. He's a, you know, as he himself said, he's a transitional figure. He's there to, you know, in the ideal scenario, uh, make it through four years and then uh, pass the baton on to Harris. Although Harris is such a, I mean, this is not immigration, so I'm talking off the top of my head here, but Harris is such a bad politician. I mean, just as a craft that I'm afraid only one person in the world can elect her to the White House, and that's Donald Trump, if he messes stuff up in 2024. What do we have now? What is exactly going on right now at the border? And which are the hottest spots, Mark? Uh, South Texas is the hottest spot. And what's happening is that Biden has rolled back a significant number of the things that 
Trump had put in place to try to clamp down on the crisis that did flare up when he was president. And the reason for the crisis, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but there's a bunch of loopholes in the law that mean that if you send your kid over alone or if you come with a kid, you're basically guaranteed to be released into the country. Um, and, you know, you'll make an asylum claim. You may follow up. You may not. Even if you lose, nobody's looking for you. So that was an incredible incentive to um, to do that, to, like I said, either send your kid over or if you're already illegally here, order a smuggler, pay a smuggler to bring him across the border or to bring your own kid with you. And what Trump did is several things, probably the most effective one, was something called remain in Mexico. Uh, That's kind of the colloquial word for it. And what that meant was, yes, you could apply for asylum, uh, which I think, frankly, if you're coming through Mexico, you shouldn't be allowed to anyway, because you should have applied in Mexico. But the way the law is now, you can apply either if you sneak over or if you just walk up to a port of entry. But you have to wait on the other side of the border now until your hearing date comes up or at least that's what the program did. So it took away the incentive to sneak across because the point of it was an asylum claim was a stratagem to get released into the U.S. Once that prize basically was taken away, the numbers collapsed. We really did succeed in getting control over the border. Biden ended that. And um, what that means is that now um, people come over, uh, they... We got nowhere to hold them. Biden doesn't want to hold them. In some cases, they do hold some of them. They give them a piece of paper and let them go. And another thing that Biden kind of half undid was the shorthand term for it is Title 42. But what it means is the public health emergency measure. There's a pandemic, and that authorized the Border Patrol to turn around anyone they got without any fuss or bother. So what Biden has done is said, well, that's kind of sort of still in place unless there's kids involved, in which case we make an exception. So what's happening is people are coming over either with kids or they're sending their kids and they're being released. And once the word is out that that's happening again, it kind of gains momentum. And that word is out. Word is out. Well, I mean, they all have cell phones. They all call home as soon as they are delivered to the bus station and uh, bingo. Everybody in Guatemala, you know, knows about it within hours. Um, And it's not as though this was unexpected. Even Biden's people knew this was going to happen. And they said, well, you know, we're going to try to do it gradually. And we're going to ask people not to come yet until we've got, you know, systems in place or something like that. Well, the illegal immigrants are not cooperating with Biden's political agenda. And they see the door is open and they're running through it. Figuring, you know, they got to take, get while the getting is good before the gringos change their mind. I just want to interrupt you a second. Sure. Because you have some very good things in these two pieces. They knew it was going to happen. Right. But they couldn't escape their own rhetoric or promise, could they? No, they couldn't. That's kind of what it amounts to. I mean, the whole point was, look, what was the basic premise of Biden's campaign? That he's not Donald Trump. That's it. And so if you're the not Donald Trump, you need to enact the not Donald Trump policies. So you have to roll back everything that he did. And like you said, they were there, but they boxed themselves in um, and in a sense sort of had no choice, but to create this disaster. And I don't know that they have a plan. In other words, I don't, I don't, I think they're kind of hoping that the media will cover for them. 
And uh, to their credit, you know, the legacy media have been reporting what's going on a little belatedly, but they've done it. Will that hold? Will the media get better? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Who knows? But I, once it's out, it's out. I just don't see. I mean, even Democratic congressmen, Mexican-American Democrats on the South Texas border are Quayar, now right. raising Quayar. the alarm. Congressman Cuellar and others. Right. And others. And there was actually a really uh, a kind of compelling video from a mayor in Del Rio, Texas, Mexican-American Democrat mayor who um, taped kind of an open letter, as it were, a video to the president saying, stop letting these people into our community. We're lucky to be able to deal with our own problems. And this was in the middle of the, you know, the storm with the power shutoffs and all the rest of it. And they were still releasing people into uh, the community. And he was begging the Biden administration to, you know, stop doing that. Um, You know, this is, uh, if, if, dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. I mean, these are guys who are, you know, ethnic Democrats. And I don't mean that ethnicity. I mean, they're ethnically Democrat. You know what I mean? It goes back, you know, generations. If they're begging their Democratic president to stop this, that really ought to be a wake-up call. But I just, I don't know that the Biden people have a way out of this. Why is the tail wagging the dog? And back to this point you just made and the one you made earlier. I mean, the difference that he won was not because the left, he had the left anyway. The difference Biden won was because of the suburbs, right? Right. Yeah. And Trump's style, probably, right? Right. So this this can't be pleasing to them. I, isn't there somebody smart there politically saying, this isn't going to work for 2022 or 2024? There may be. And, you know, uh, the, but like yeah. I said, they are captive to their rhetoric because anything they do... Yeah, it's going to be, oh, look at that. You're going back to the evil orange man, bad policies. And um, I mean, in this, I don't know, you would think he'd be able to sister soldier him himself out of this because what are the Democrats going to do? You know, but, you know, in Congress, I think uh, Nancy Pelosi is actually kind of worried to some degree about the squad and those folks. And, you know, the the number of uh, hard left folks in the Democratic caucus in the House of Representatives has increased. Yes. So so I think they're kind of worried about um, betraying the left too much. Whereas when Clinton did that sister soldier thing, I mean, I don't know if any of your listeners even remember that, but, sure. you know, he was able to basically, uh, you know, call out somebody on the left to prove his moderate bona fides. That sister soldier, whoever she was, didn't really represent much of a constituency that he had to worry about. Now, AOC and the rest of them really do represent a significant constituency in the House anyway. And um, I don't think, I think they're afraid of activating those people against them. You educated me years ago. You continue to. I remember we had a discussion. I said, what's the most powerful faction, Madison's term, uh, in the Democrat Party? I said, is it feminism? Is it environmentalists? Is it uh, labor? You said, nope. It's the immigration people. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, uh, and it's not just the immigration groups. It's the immigration. It's the concept of unlimited immigration. Uh, in other words, I wrote a piece for NR years ago. I initially I wanted to title it "Open Borders Uber Alles," but Catherine didn't go for that, so they came up with another title. But the point was, anytime uh, open borders conflicts with a, a different democratic uh, objective or goal, open borders always wins. Always. 
labor, black issues, um, yeah. you know, anything, women's issues, free speech. It's always, always, always that unlimited immigration wins out over all of them. And um, so in other words, it's not just the organizations themselves. They're kind of the epiphenomena. It's the basic concept that borders are, our borders in particular, are illegitimate is what drives a lot of this. In your two pieces, you mentioned something that Trump provided for that Biden hasn't gotten rid of, but people on the left are upset that he has some kind of what is that? Some holding thing or something? This was a Title 42, I think. It's that public emergency health. Emergency measure. Yeah, the public health emergency measure. Uh, and he hasn't gotten rid of it. They're kind of upset. But what he's done is made exceptions that are, are, are kind of starting to swallow the rule, if you will. So he hasn't done everything the left wants. That was kind of the point of my open-ish borders piece that the Biden people have basically been telegraphing that you can get away with it now in a way that under Trump you couldn't, but they still can't just dismantle the wall and retire all the Border Patrol agents. So you end up with a, you know, enforcement theater, as it were. And, you know, that isn't just bad policy. It has real costs. Uh, You know, that terrible accident recently with uh, 25 people jammed into a Ford Explorer that got T-boned by a truck. Um, you know, that wasn't happening on that scale under Trump. I mean, there's always going to be some illegal immigration, no matter how strict enforcement is. But it's, you know, you're going to see more of it when you, um, you know, you loosen up. And that's what Biden has done. I mean, it's there's a kind of broken windows policing about this. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, yes, yes. what you know, what Biden has done essentially is kind of get rid of the broken windows policing approach to immigration. And you're going to have a lot more law breaking. It's the way it is. What's the what's the end point? I mean, I see numbers 113,000 this year. I think you suggested in the article, maybe more. Um, what's the end point? What's the point at which it breaks? And he says this has to stop. What's the point at which the secretary says it is a crisis? We'll see. I mean, I have no, I, I have no way to yeah, judge that. Um, yeah. You know, Jay Johnson, who was Obama's right. Homeland Security Secretary, and a serious guy. I mean, he's a Democrat. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but he's not a hack. And, you know, when Trump responded, when Trump was facing a border crisis, Johnson said, no, guys, this really is a crisis. This isn't something they're making up. You know, this is a serious thing. Well, what Jay Johnson acknowledged as a crisis at the border, we're already way beyond that. And so the fact that his successor under Biden, uh, Mayorkas, is saying, no, no, it's not a crisis. It's a stressful challenge is the euphemism he used. They're playing games with words now. Suggests to me it's going to have to get a lot worse before the White House decides they have to do something. You know, where when that point it, is, I don't know. We're going to see. Doesn't it run into, at what point does it, or maybe it doesn't run into some of these other uh, important Democrat interest groups like unions, jobs, the Black Caucus, the environmentalists. I remember you telling me about how much trash people, you know, leave when they cross the border illegally, how much junk and garbage. Um, I mean, there are other Democrat interest groups besides the immigration lobby. They may be the most powerful, but there are others. And surely they've got to react and that's got to make some difference at some point. You're going to say, I don't know. Uh, Biden 
fired essentially 11,000 union pipeline workers with the Keystone thing. Yeah, yeah. You didn't care. We don't worry about the unions there. And that was a direct assault on the interests of the unions. Uh, likewise with black Americans, clearly. Pretty respectful about, pretty respectful of the unions in the schools, though. That's I'm getting true. into my, 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 ba- my bailiwick here. Boy, yep. if this isn't the breaking point for the teachers' unions and the lousy schools, I don't know what is, but go ahead. But I mean, the teachers' unions are unions that matter. I think, you know, unions that are dominated by blue collar, mostly white, cis, gender, heterosexual males don't count. It doesn't matter that they're unions. Well, you get your uh, language and, right. You get your language down. Good for you. Yeah, well, what can I say? I've, uh, I've learned the lingo. So, so I understand what you're saying, but no, I don't think any of those other interest groups are going to um, are going to impel the White House to act. It's only going to be if the political price starts be, starts really getting high, and you know the political folks say, "Look, you know we're already behind the eight ball for 2022. Uh, you know, do you want to guarantee a Republican takeover of the House?" And, uh, you know, frankly, they have a decent chance of taking the Senate by an actual majority. Maybe, you know, not filibuster proof, but a real majority maybe in 2022, because there's a lot more vulnerable Republicans. They keep going this way. I know. You know, they have a real chance of losing the Senate as well as the House. Is there a senator? I'm actually thinking of this in connection with this $1.9 trillion. But is there no senator there? On the Democrat side, who can say this is crazy, as well as to the stuff we're talking about. This well, is crazy. You know, Mansion and Cinema are the ones a little that bit. people only a little bit. Yeah, that's what I mean. Only a little bit. And and Mansion was in the Senate during the Gang of Eight bill. You know, the big amnesty yep. under Obama, and he voted for it in the end. So so the answer is no, not anymore. I mean, uh, there are still Democratic voters who are somewhat hawkish on immigration, but there's no part of the Democratic leadership class that is willing to even entertain the concept of immigration limits. I mean, it's that bad. Nancy Pelosi, even before Trump, was asked something about deportations or whatever, and she she said that simply being an illegal alien is not a legitimate reason for deporting somebody, which is... Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's... Yeah, I do. Well, I remember the campaign. You'd think I'd be too old to be shocked, but when they all put their hands up, you know, uh, people across the border, should they be eligible for all these services? Yeah. Illegal, including that craziness about, you know, abortion of transsexual, whatever that was. Anyway. Right. But I mean, it was was all the way... That just illustrated it was all the way to the extreme. Right. That's my Um, point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll give it up, you know. Reality has to check in at some point, and political reality has to check in at some point. And getting reelected or, or keeping your majority has to check in at some point. One would think, but and, you know, there's there's nothing like remember uh, one of my philosophy readings. There's nothing like the power of ideology. It is a straitjacket, and and many people who are ideologically disposed, and I think that's a lot of the Biden senior command are in that straitjacket. They are ideologues, not open to evidence. And ideologues are not open to evidence. And I think it's actually beyond, I mean, that, that's for real, but I think you add on to that the sort of hangover from Trump. And it's not a hangover, I mean, he's still around. And so there is a real, I mean, Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. Uh, you know, 
I mean, I think Trump even joked about it at the CPAC speech or somewhere. I mean, I don't think he put it this way, but the, my line has always been, if the guy said, you know, shower, taking a shower is good every day, these guys would stop bathing. I mean, it's that pathological. And yeah. so immigration being Trump's uh, marquee issue, that kind of that derangement continues even in the face of, uh, you know, political harm. So I don't know. I mean, it may take a drubbing in 2022. It may even take, uh, you know, the Republicans taking over Congress and the White House in 2024 for these guys to snap out of it. But God, what happens to that border between now and then? Good question. And those people in Texas. Yeah. Do they give a damn about the people in Texas? Do they give a damn what Henry Cuellar says? I don't know. I mean, but there is, you know, they do think they have this chance of flipping Texas and all of that, you know, turn Texas blue. Not this way. Yeah, exactly. Not this way is right. What they're really doing is, is pushing a significant element of the Hispanic population into the arms of the Republicans. I like to think I'm open to evidence, you know, and when, but it is, you got to think about it though. It's not even just, I mean, it's not a question necessarily of evidence because I think these guys in principle don't believe that the borders are legitimate. And so the evidence, what evidence is going to change their mind on that? Now, political harm. Yeah, that's, that's evidence in a sense, but as far as the impact on the country, that's a secondary question. If you reject the legitimacy of the border. I know you, you wanted Trump to have a, a broader, more comprehensive policy, uh, you know, which would have been very difficult for him to achieve. But what was it he did that kind of saved the day or put the limits on? Was this the agreement with Mexico? Explain it to me in the audience, please. Yeah, the probably the biggest thing. I mean, they did a number of things to clamp down on the border. But the biggest thing was getting Mexico to agree that third country, mostly Central American asylum seekers had to wait in Mexico for their hearing dates to come up. Right. Because right. Mexico doesn't have to take a Salvadoran back once he's snuck into our country. It's kind of a, you know, musical chairs or whatever, you know, hot potato. I mean, once a third country national is in our country, even if they cross through Mexico, we need their, uh, you know, their permission to push the guy back. It's their country. So getting Mexico to agree was probably the single biggest thing. And he did that, you know, through a mix of carrots and sticks. But the most um, high profile thing was he he threatened trade sanctions if Mexico didn't play ball. And while our trade, while our trade with Mexico is important to us, it's way more important to them. And I think one of the reasons you're seeing less cooperation from Mexico, that's what's driving some of these issues in South Texas, is that they're not afraid of Biden. They don't think, you know, they 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 don't think he's going to do anything to them. And they're probably right. And so, you know, they're uh, little by little, they're kind of walking back from their cooperation. The other big thing he got Mexico to agree to was to deploy the Mexican National Guard on its own southern border with Guatemala to bottle up people coming through from Central America. And they did, they were, you know, they did that. They were serious about that. And they haven't gotten, they haven't sent all those people back to the barracks, but they will be starting to do so, I think. The Trump supporters already miss him. When will the suburban people miss him? 
And when will the left miss them? Now, you can't say I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to take more than uh, what you're seeing now, I think. Now, the, that, the that suburban voters. Yeah, for some now, but it doesn't mean suburban voters that some significant share won't come back to Republicans because those are two right. different issues. Exactly. No, so exactly. in 2022, yeah. you know, whatever role Trump plays, he's not on the ballot. The question is, is he going to be on the ballot in 2024? And yeah, I don't you know, think so. I, in a sense, I kind of hope not because Me too. Me too. look, I voted for the guy twice. You know what I mean? Me I, Me I know too. his flaws, but I voted for him, but he performed a vital service to the country, but he now has to kind of let other people take the lead. My, uh, yeah. my, uh, you know, early money is on Ron DeSantis. I think right. he would right. be a really strong candidate. Yeah, I've Navy, been Navy veteran. He successfully actually run the third largest government state government in the country uh done a good job on this covid stuff you know i mean uh for all the attacks from the media he's actually done way better than their darling uh cuomo so anyway the point is watch the uh, darling cuomo comments yeah okay that's (laughs) inappropriate yeah oh that's true yeah sorry (laughs) about that yeah (laughs) cuomo darling yeah okay go ahead sorry man that's all right that's all right so anyway the point is he doesn't get to decide what's inappropriate you know See that blatant statement he said yesterday? I didn't no. do anything inappropriate. Yeah, you don't right. get to decide that. Yep, yep. It's going to be. It would have to get a lot worse before some of those people alienated by Trump's Trumpiness change their minds and come back. But Republicans who, without Trump on the ballot, can benefit from this significantly. I think. Well, look at this House. I mean, you got this increase in the squad, but you also have an increase in these. There's there's this Republican woman squad. Right. These women who were elected, quite, quite impressive. I've seen a lot of them. And, and, you know, the Democrats majority, I mean, the Republicans only need to swing five seats, I think it is. That's right. To take the majority. So, um, and they, and they picked up the seats while Trump was on the ballot. So, um, I know. you know, I know. so. I know. But, um, yeah, DeSantis, I've known for a long time. He was almost uh, on as often as you were on Morning in America. Oh, really? Okay. To both of you. Yeah, no, we knew him all well. And that's amazing what's going on there. And a very good friend of his and mine said, man, all the money is coming to Florida, not just the Santa's. I mean, right. not mainly. It's just coming. Yeah, New tech, Yorkers leaving, tech, Californians yeah, tech leaving. People are moving to Miami. There's apparently kind of yeah. a move to make Miami another tech center, you know? So, yeah. And, he, and, and he's done it. And on my and issue, you know, he's yeah. he's committed. You know, he actually put yeah. in... Yeah. Yeah, he's expended political capital to get the Florida legislature to pass an E-Verify bill. It wasn't as good as he wanted because the Chamber of Commerce folks were pushing back, but he didn't give up. It wasn't just for show. He really put his shoulder to the wheel and got something over the finish line. So um, I don't know. I have high hopes for the guy, but we'll see. I love him. I know him. Got to be kind of friendly with him, but enough is enough. You know, he's 74. He would be 78 when he took office. We don't need him grumpier. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need his policies, but right. we don't need him grumpier. Yeah, So I agree. I agree. I mean, I say that as someone who's about the same age. Anyway, Mark, as always, uh, great. And we will call on you again, and we will read you and put everything up. And it's good to revisit. And thank you very, very much. Sure. Happy to do it. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter. William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at 
gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.